0: Welcome to the Education Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part one of my conversation with Brody Tate from Loyola University, Chicago. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Education's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of the Education Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. Today, we have Brody Tate from uh, Loyola University, Chicago. He is the Learning Portfolio Program Manager. Uh, welcome, Brody.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah. Um, so I've worked with you now for maybe a year or two years, something like that, um, at this yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but... I have, um, known about your work and we can talk about Patrick, you know, maybe, uh, later as well. Um, uh, work from Loyola for, for quite a long time, actually, cause you've, you've been doing, uh, portfolios for, for a long time. Um, I was going to just start off by asking you, um, maybe just as a way of, you know, getting to know, get the audience to know you a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So, um. Tell us a little bit about you know what is a learning portfolio and what does a learning portfolio program manager do?
1: Definitely, uh, thank you. Those are very excellent questions. Um, learning portfolios at Loyola are e-portfolios, so most people in the industry know them as electronic portfolios or digital portfolios. We in the Center for Engaged Learning, Teaching, and Scholarship focus on the learning aspect as a pedagogical practice, being that we don't want this to be the old paper binder that you just Put your work into and then go handing out to folks we want to articulate and curate the learning experience and have students develop themselves both inside and outside the classroom from a multitude of their identities and demonstrate their understanding of knowledge in their own autonomous version and share that with whomever they they need to or would like to and so if that's a classroom if that's a capstone um, if it's a graduation requirement or sharing with external partners, internship supervisors, or even applications for grad school or um, jobs in the workforce. We want students to have access to not only retain the assignments and amazing work and research that they put all this time and energy into, they can then also reflect on that experience and have some sort of tangible timeline and visual representation of their learning. And it highlights the high impact practice elements, um, as well as demonstrating a depth of Content knowledge within a course or a program. And so, learning portfolios for us are like my big high horse that I do my general spiel for. But I mean, I'm really impassioned about it because we have amazing students doing amazing work. And we in the office discuss this all the time as if you can't highlight your stories or the stories of the students, staff, and faculty you work with, we're not doing our job. We're not sharing. Our work with others and and sharing in the collective content knowledge, which is higher education. And so the Learning Portfolio Program Manager, I oversee all of the learning portfolio programs um, within Loyola that utilize our platform, which is now Digication. And so we've had portfolios um, pretty sustainably for the last 11 years. Um, so since the inception of previously our department was named something else, and when Patrick, my supervisor, became the executive director, um, it has it had has grown exponentially, um, especially with some of the innovations that have come through with technology. So I work directly with faculty to incorporate critical reflection and digital pedagogy into their courses or capstones or programs or even their co-curriculars to engage students in a multitude of ways and allow multimodal approaches and access to learning. And so on a high level, um, it sounds big and fluffy and fancy, but basically I just meet with faculty, um, not just, but I meet with faculty on Zoom screens and I I build up their course shells and encourage them to have better digital practices when they're helping students sort of navigate um, using portfolios for their work and encourage them to take this work again and share it with others and demonstrate their content knowledge and their experiences. And so with students, a lot of the times I'm just helping them with technical errors and also encouraging them to highlight some aspects of using portfolios that they probably haven't thought of or giving them examples of other students. Like, for example, the dance capstone at Loyola. They spend four years in their undergraduate experience and they leave their senior exit interview with a portfolio and they are some of the most beautiful pieces I've ever seen. It incorporates all the elements of the learning objectives we hope for, but it also demonstrates their own passion for social justice especially in a performance art Um, but from across the board from philosophy to the School of Medicine to nursing to public health um, communication business um, I'm working on the math um, area but we'll get there at some point (laughs) Um, so I mean I wanted to unpack
0: all that a little bit I mean you you gave us a lot of info there I mean this is, um, I think it, It first of all, it, it certainly shows how matured um, the thinking is behind what, what you all are doing. It is, um, it certainly is, it shows that you've been doing it, like you said, you know, for 11 years, you know, you've been doing it rigorously for that long and you've been thinking about it a lot. Um, what makes you so passionate about this? Was there some you know, um, life event, or is there some, was there some early experience that, that made you want to do this?
1: Um, as Bob Ross would say, uh, life has a lot of happy accidents and we just turn them (laughs) into something else. Um, I was in my master's at Loyola, um, in 2015, 2014, and there's a capstone requirement where we have to use portfolios. And, um, I had met the person who currently, or would have, would, then have my job back in the day. Um, So Michelle Cousel was um, a coworker that I had known through um, and had been working in the department that I'm in now. And my current supervisor, Patrick, was also my professor for curriculum and instruction. So I was taking his course. I was sort of working with their department. And one of my really good friends was Michelle Cussell's intern. And when I eventually was working with Patrick after the course was completed, he saw my passion for curriculum development and for enhancing teaching and learning practices and asked if I wanted an internship. And I was in the middle of deciding whether or not I wanted to quit my master's because I was not having the best experience. And I ran into him on the quad, and he came up and said, you look like you're drowning in a sea of nobody giving you help. I'm going to offer you this opportunity. It's completely up to you if you want it. And I just took it. And when I got into the internship role, I finished a few tasks too quickly, and he realized that he didn't have as much work for me as he originally thought and asked if I would work with Michelle. And ever since then, she just threw me into portfolios and taught me a lot about the pedagogical practice, but also um, really creative and even entrepreneurial versions of how you can give students the chance to work with problem solving and, and deep thinking in the ways that I had always looked for sort of, um, some kind of tool in education. I've always been really, um, de- I've been very digitally driven my entire life. I make websites sometimes in my spare time. I have always dreamt of a podcast, but at that, at this point, I think the, uh, the market might have left me on that one. Um, well, but you're just, on
0: one, so... That's like, <laughs> true, that is true.
1: Yes, that is a very good point. Um, posting my own might take a little bit more initiative than I have the bandwidth for nowadays. Um, but I always have just sort of loved the, the electronic environment, digital environment and virtual worlds. And so when I took this internship, I just loved it. Um, ended up graduating, taking a different position at Columbia College where I ran orientation on new student programs for a few years. And the second this job opened, And Patrick and I had been emailing for years. He emailed me and he's like, hey, I know you were looking for a new position out in the universe. By the way, here's this job that you worked for. It's Michelle's position or old position, former (laughs) position. And I took it and got an interview within two days, accepted within two more. And honestly, it's been a huge, a huge, amazing turning point for um, sort of my work. I've always wanted to come back into curriculum. And this was the perfect fit. It was highlighting virtual elements. It was creative. It was engaging. Um, Our former platform was very much in need of an upgrade. So the first thing that I was tasked with when I took this position was creating a task force with every single college representative, uh, or at least every department or division um, that had a stake in it and fostering a good conversation about where we should go next. And that led us to Digication.
0: So I think it would be... Um, great for our listeners to get a sense of the scale and the scope that you work at. I mean, you mentioned a lot of different programs and disciplines that you work with already, but it's, it's actually, I think that once we, maybe if we can hear a little bit about the numbers of students and, you know, faculty members you work with, we, we start to get a sense of, you know, sort of how vast, you know, that, that range actually, you know, is.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to try to keep all the numbers correctly in my head. It's been a (laughs) lot of transition. Um, So we have around what I would generalize as about 55 main programs. And each one of those programs could have multiple subsections or multiple courses, um, multiple different faculty groups and underneath that. So programs is a very big word for me. Um, It's not just a course or just, you know, a small series of 14 students. Um, So in total, there's about 55 large-scale programs that I oversee. And then there's um, about 14 graduate programs that I help facilitate with either capstone levels or graduate program certifications or um, continuing higher higher education requirements. Um, So overall, we have about, on average, each year, we have about 10,000 active users that are constantly in the system, constantly having to submit work, or not having to, they get to. Um, and so we have about, on average about 10,000 active users with about two to 3,000 every year that sort of get folded in as the students graduate and move out. And uh, our, our rough estimates for numbers are about 15,000 on campus. So we have a vast majority of our students using the system at one point or another during their educational experience. Um, Faculty-wise, I work with over 250 faculty regularly. And so even in the School of Medicine program that they're onboarding, I have over 27 faculty members in 16 different faculty groups. And I manage (laughs) over 270 students. And that's just for this specific program. So when I said program is a big word, it is a massive word. So we have around hundreds of faculty at different intervals. We have roughly about 200 staff users that regularly use the system for onboarding programs for our TRIO program um, or some other initiatives that we have on campus that they kind of want to monitor some of the students' progress. And so it's it's very expansive. And sometimes for me, I feel like we're not doing enough. We're not in as many areas as we should be. And then I ha- go to conferences and hear other universities have one department that uses portfolios, which sounds like a dream to me sometimes. Um, (laughs) And we're not, we're not situated within a department in the sense that oftentimes I find portfolio programs are in um, the English department or journalism, or they're, they're housed in a communication hub. Um, The teaching and learning center is for all um, staff and faculty that are teaching or want to engage in curricular practices. And so I am the sole administrator at Loyola for upwards of 17,000 people.
0: So, um, how do you, I mean, I think the next logical question is how do you do it? Like, do you, (laughs) I mean, how do you, how does one person and is it one person or do you have like, do you have a team of 35 people that work for you? Um, how do you, and, and if not, how do you get, get it done? How do you get, you know, how do you just get, the time to work with these different programs
1: mm-hmm. excellent question i do have some wonderful colleagues in its um, in, in, tech, in informational technology services that help me with a lot of the technical aspects of the lti integrations the the massive moving of data and things of that nature so i do have a little bit of support especially on that technical end the actual facilitating the program is solely myself and i have faculty workshops i have drop-in hours i i present at our local conference within Loyola. It's called the Focus on Teaching and Learning. And so every year, twice a year, we host that once in the summer, once in the winter. And so I I do get a lot of face-to-face interaction or Zoom-to-Zoom interaction. Um, and a lot of times it is me reaching out. It's connecting with department chairs and going to their, their monthly meetings yeah. and saying, hi, we have this a wonderful service on campus. We can provide that for you. <laughs> give me roughly a two to four week heads up so I can unfold that into my workflow. The, the advantage, and I will very much largely tote education for this, is the system is now so user-friendly in the sense that I can take our previous programs and easily transfer them in, and they kind of run themselves. Once I give people a general overview, once they get the learning curve of a new system, I don't have the technical problems I had in the past. I don't have the constant bombardment of emails. So for this year, it's actually a good problem because I've been inundated with people wanting to use the system, not people complaining about how the system didn't suit their needs. And so this time I actually have a very high demand that I haven't been able to keep up with, especially the shift into the pandemic. Um, The majority of the time is just me reaching out in the fall and the spring and having enough time built into my calendar to both facilitate these really wonderful relationships, but also develop their programs pretty sustainably. And so in the future, I'm hoping for a team. My, my supervisor says that we're going to get one and I need one at some point. Um, so there's, there's hope I'm putting out into the universe, but it's, it's usually just been the sole administrator and we used to have a a team of student staff and those budgets have been cut. And so previously we did have some help for, for presenting, for presenting or going through the email inbox and, and helping students that way. Um, yeah, honestly, it's me and, and a lot of really helpful resources that you all provide. The help desk is one of the most useful series of guides I've ever experienced working with a technology. And so uh, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of the support from you all, as well as my my colleagues in ITS. Um, otherwise, it's just a lot of aggressive ambition every day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, thank, well, first, thank you for all the kind words. Um, we are very proud of our team here. And... Um, and and I, I must say that it is just beyond impressive the the amount of work that you, one single person can generate. And, you know, sometimes it reminds me of um, the way that I, I see you work. It reminds me <laughs> a little bit of, um, you know, someone who's... I don't know. Um, I mean, we just had this last year with the uh, election year. It's like someone who's like canvassing like a district. You're just like, <laughs> I'm just gonna knock on the doors, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna give up until I knock on all of them, and 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 sort of brute force through it. <laughs> a little <laughs> in bit. Some, in some sense, though, that that sometimes is the most effective thing to do because because it. It provides you with it's not about just like, oh, you have to do all this work. It's that when you do the work, just like your students, almost like that learning portfolio, it's also a learning opportunity for you. Not that I'm saying that you don't know, you'd have to learn, more like you get more of the nuance between the different perspectives and then you get better and better at at being able to communicate the you know, all the all the amazing things that you actually you know, have to offer, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I owe a lot of my credit to the faculty that I work with. Some of them have taken portfolios and ran with them in amazing ways I couldn't predict. And they're our vanguards. They're the ones that advocate for us. And um, to tout that, I will always, I will always highlight the dance program because of how wonderful they are. Um, But they have recommended us to other performing arts groups to say, if you want to measure these assessment outcomes and have this programmatic data, here's portfolios. If your question is how do you measure something so intangible, portfolios are a, are a predominant um, choice to lean into. And so um, I have to give them that credit as well because you're right, it's, it's mostly knocking on doors every year. Just start the campaign and canvas all over again and see who opens this time. Um, but it's a pretty impressive feat. And once, once you give someone a good example, I've noticed that they are, are in awe and inspired by the capabilities of portfolios.
0: Well, especially when you show them examples of your student, your own students' work. They mm-hmm. they they can identify those sometimes they can actually know they know who it is because they're like, oh yeah. I have the students, you know, I didn't you know, like I should never have underestimated like how amazing they are because when you look at their portfolio, sometimes you know they're just so impressive.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that I think goes back to the the part I said about why my department likes to highlight stories as if we can't share that story and share those examples, and, and even just the resources we have on campus, people aren't going to be as encouraged or as empowered. And um, I tell a lot of the faculty, is like, I will do a lot of the heavy lifting for you if you can just try it and see where it goes and just have open common uh, feedback. And so it's been, it's been nice to see some good transitions. I will say the last year has forced people into it a little more than they were comfortable, um, but uh, I wasn't mad getting a little more popular on campus.
0: Well, um, I must say, I mean, we mentioned Patrick a couple of times Mm -hmm. and um, this is Patrick Green um, Mm -hmm. who, um, you know, who's, I got to get him on this, uh, on this (laughs) podcast because he's, um, he's also, he's just very, very smart. And um, he is, he's amazing. Yeah. Really amazing.
1: Yeah. So Dr. Patrick Green is the executive director. Um, He's wonderful. He's done amazing work. He, I think he's, he's so excellent at managing some of those relationships. That's also where a lot of our amazing work comes from is he has these very practical ways to get to very high level strategic initiatives and the foresight to sort of predict and and protect us in a lot of ways of saying, we are going to do this amazing work. We're going to foster a lot of this, this amazing innovation. And sometimes, you know, administrators and people aren't always ready for those kinds of things. But we we try to walk the walk as much as we talk the talk. And he's brilliant. He would absolutely love to come and chat with everybody. And um, he definitely has a lot to share. Um, but every every day I learn something new from him. And we actually worked on a publication um, about portfolios and about our, our task force and um, how leading that task force led us to develop a model that sort of highlights the essential pieces of what we hope portfolios encapsulate, which is the student experience, but also faculty development, and then critical reflection and high impact practices. And so it's this amazing fusion where if portfolios are done well, it highlights the entirety of what our theoretical uh, approach is. And now we can sort of prove that with evidence and and data to back it up. And so it was a very fun project to work on. And actually folks from other institutions have reached out about it and asked, how did you run this? We saw that you had this publication about a task force and we want to know more about it. And so it's been nice to share that with others. And I'm very much in that space and which is something Patrick taught me is, is that we should share in community um, for and with others. And we're a collective um, group of scholars. We shouldn't always be Competing, especially in unhealthy ways. Competition can be healthy, um, but we should also help each other out and and share in that knowledge and just hope for a better education experience overall.
0: I think it is those types of thinking that makes um, Patrick such a successful leader in education. And I totally get what you mean by him. being able to create these amazing relationships with different programs. And I think it's natural that they also have so much respect for him. And I think this is one of the things that um, I see from Loyola that is really kind of a special place because you have, you have a a really healthy culture going. Um, You know, you're, no one's no one seems like confused about, well, what is this portfolio thing? And then sort of like, let's dismiss it. They don't do that there. Um, you know, they, it's it's with a lot of respect and a lot of innovation. And then, you know, sort of like, how can I be part of this and contribute to it? Which is just a really, just a wonderful thing to see. Um, yeah. I was going to um, maybe talk about, you know, this idea of learning portfolios even just a little bit more, if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah. Because I think that's a really interesting aspect of where we are today. Um, I, I have, um, you know, there, there, there has always been, you know, some aspect of a portfolio, whether it by implications or by research, by with scholarly, you know, um, you know, data and and, and writings, you know, um, for for the last, you know, couple of decades, um, that. In some sense, it always implied that there is this—you know—someone had done the work. Mm-hmm. We are now going to um, let them, you know, sort of, you know, sort of um, uh, collect a bunch of them and maybe select some of them, curate some of them, maybe then reflect on some of them, um, and that makes up this collection of things, in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that what you have done is it's really sort of going a lot beyond that because I think that you've you, you you've clearly thought about, or oh, this is how you think about portfolios. It is part of the curriculum in that it is part of the learning experience. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I've done it. Now I only use it because I need somewhere to house them, house the work, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as the conversations I've had in the last few years, especially taking on this role after having been the intern for this position. um, I don't shy away from that conversation. And I will tell a lot of folks, this is not a repository. If you want a repository, we have an LMS. We have other methods for you to store information and house it. This is meant to measure learning and experiences and and give students a, a tangible effort in their own autonomous sharing of learning. And and I always reinforce those practices. Whether or not they use them to the fullest extent kind of falls within um, varied experiences. Yeah. Um, but I've always I've always tried to push for that. And I always want to see that's my hope for education is that when we when we develop tools and yeah. systems like this, it shouldn't be a band aid. It shouldn't be a temporary staple or a fix or just a checkbox. It should be a useful, encouraging, very highly enriching tool that they can use well beyond what we ask them to use it for. And, and I've seen it, I've, I've learned that if you give students freedom, they take it and run with it in amazing ways, especially if you give them some positive encouragement and, and some, some lacks freedom on that. But it's also, if you, if you give people the why they're a lot more um, innovative and expressive in what they can do for it. And so putting it into curriculum, dropping it into a class mm-hmm. um, some folks will just use it because they want that to just be, a place they turn something in. Um, but I, I never back away from that. I always do my little soapbox spiel and, um, I usually use humor as a little bit of a presentation tactic because it lightens the mood with students, especially around sometimes they don't want a presentation on some, some zoom screen about some technology they have to learn, but I show them some of the fun features and things you can adapt in. And that usually draws them in. And so I think, especially coming from my department, is meant to foster high-level pedagogical practice. Um, it's just second nature now. Like what we do, the conversations we have in passing, in in our in our personal and professional development, we're constantly reading and engaging with new educators, or going back and and, and reading um, bell hooks or how to be anti-racist and, and incorporating. A lot of the elements of social justice work, which we do at Loyola, or we hope to say that we do at Loyola, um, and again, we like to practice what we preach, um, we want to incorporate this, the social rhetoric, the, the encompassment of social justice, and, and do our due diligence to foster a healthy education system, not just teaching to teach. Um, we want this to be a full embodied experience for students, staff, and faculty, and um,
0: I love that. And, you know, something that uh, you had mentioned, you know, a few times, even in the dance uh, capstone program, for example, you are you're saying how does this dance project um, speak about, you know, social justice or, you know, speak to, you know, the, you know, some some higher mission and purpose that's beyond what the the discipline in the strictest, most traditional classical sense means in the textbook um mm-hmm. i i feel like that that's a it's almost like a to me it's almost like what a definition of like learning portfolio would be in 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 2021 it, you know um i really feel like that it may not have been in certainly not in like 1999 um or 2001 because mm-hmm. i think even at that point um well, two thousand and one, everyone's either um, getting, getting, getting the uh, dot com bust, or you know, still trying to ride the wave, right? So yeah. everyone's just trying to, you know, I think at different eras, you know, people are looking for different things, and I think in two thousand twenty one, for students going to school today, there's a, there's definitely this uh, sometimes unspoken, but I think at Loyola is not unspoken. It's a <laughs> very vocal, you know, aspect of, oh no, I don't want to just be like just be a doctor. I want to be a doctor that does some versions of good in the world.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I've I've always loved working for mission or purpose-driven institutions. It's one of the reasons why I was also drawn to my previous role at Columbia College is one of the slogans and I'm paraphrasing and might mess this up horribly a little bit, but it was basically <laughs> developing students to be the authors of their own time. And at Loyola, the the Ignatian mission and the Ignatian phrase is go forth and set the world on fire. And so I Mm -hmm. love surrounding myself with students, staff, and faculty that have that drive, that Mm -hmm. want to go beyond just the the checkbox, the status quo, whatever that is. Um, I like people that look to the future and say, this is how I want to change it, but for the better. And not just change for change. We all know that technology has largely outpaced education at an exponential rate the last few years. And so it's this is one of my favorite parts of portfolios too, is that it's not it's not a technology that has developed beyond our comprehension. It's not something like where someone comes and tries to talk to me about coding now and I'm I'm 10 years behind and I'm no concept. Um, you, you know what a portfolio is and the technology isn't super hard to use, especially with platforms like Digication. Um, so it's not this overarching, incredibly impossible next step. It's taking old forms of teaching that, are in my opinion often outdated and misused, and saying here is this tool that can foster so much more and create connections, and and you can even share it with folks like your community members and and give them tangible views of how they're supporting the mission at Loyola or um, buying and shopping local and 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 fostering healthy relationships with our immigrant populations or with health practitioners in public health, and so that's something that I I really appreciate you acknowledging because that's what we often think and talk about at Loyola, but then we get so far into the weeds of what we're doing. Sometimes it's, it's, um, we miss the forest for the trees.
0: This concludes part one of our conversation with Brody Tate from Loyola University, Chicago. To hear part two, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius and Amanda Driscoll. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.